0: Welcome to the podcast. We Do Recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like.
1: Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn.
0: Welcome to another edition of We Do Recover. Episode 98, I'm excited for We're almost to 100, man. I just, I know last week I was saying that. This week I'm repeating it. I'm just so thrilled that we're almost two hundred. For episode 98, I have a special guest, Aaron Garcia, a.k.a. Pastor Garcia, has joined me in studio today. Aaron, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: I know our schedules didn't always work, right? And it's been, we're getting a little late to start today, but I just want to say I appreciate your patience. I appreciate the willingness. It's good to have you in the studio. It's good that this thing's rocking and rolling, man.
2: Yeah, man. It's it's been an honor just to kind of get to know you over these past few weeks and uh, kind of chime in and talk with one another. So I appreciate you and appreciate this
0: podcast. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Speaking of this podcast, I got kind of listen. First of all, I I know that you know that you've made it when you get some negativity, right? Right. Like like I I appreciate. So I shared this podcast out to some different recovery platforms, and somebody sweetheart made a uh, remark about our sponsorship mentions about this being like a, you know, commercial or something. (laughs) So, so let me break this down. This is a hundred percent free content. Everybody, this will never end up on Patreon. We're never going to charge for viewerships. It's a, you know, it's all over the United States. We even have some international downloads. It's a hundred percent content free. However, it does cost money. I mean, Sean over there is like working for every penny today, right? So we do have some costs in producing this. Therefore, we have sponsorships. So just to make that completely clear, we're not trying to profit off recovery. We're, we're trying to put out some, I think, thought-provoking, inspirational content that makes people really think about topics like last week with the marijuana. Or they hear an inspirational story and go, man, maybe if I made some changes, my life could be different. Right. Like that's the thought provoking content that we're after. So, episode 98 is brought to us by Steps Recovery Centers. Steps Recovery Centers is here to help you or a loved one get help as soon as you're ready to make that choice and reach out. You can reach out by giving them a call at 801 800 8142 or just jump over to their website. That's stepsrc.com. I know Sean's working on There it is. There's their website. So steps has detox inpatient outpatient. They really are ready to help you or loved one get help from start to finish. Whenever you're ready to reach out. Episode 98 is also brought to us by rise up supplements. If you go to rise you can check out, we have two different products. The first one is mindful mood helps decrease anxiety and enhance mood. The second one is mind shift. That's going to be like your go get it, right? That helps increase focus and optimize brain function. Right now we're doing, it's my wife's birthday this month, man. Happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday, right? Yes. So to celebrate her birthday, we're doing a discount, 30% off at checkout, saves you 30% off your your whole cart. You just type in B-Day 30 at checkout, save 30% off. Again, that's at riseupsups.com, R-I-S-E-U-P-S-U-P-S dot c o m. All right, let's get to it. So I used some verbiage earlier, Aaron, and do, I'm going to call you pastor Garcia or Aaron? Just call me Aaron. Okay. I was going to say, we're (laughs) like, we're buddies at this point, right? Like I can be, I can be casual. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah, for sure. I like this cat. So, so I used some verbiage earlier. I said, how long have you been in recovery? And you hit me with something I've never heard before. What did you say back? Um, I said that, uh what did you mean by
2: recovery? Like did I, did I, right. I know. was saved by Jesus. Yes.
0: And I'd never heard that dude. And I love that. That's I love good. that man. That's, that's good. That's fantastic. So this is a podcast about overcoming uh, substance abuse. We'll put it that way. Right. Which tells me, since you're on here, you may have had some substance abuse in your past that you had to overcome. Absolutely. That Jesus saved you from. Mm-hmm. Where does that story start? Sure.
2: So I know in in recovery in the recovery community, there's um, everyone has a story, right? So, my story really starts um, at age 16. You know, the best way I can really describe my life is I really had a good upbringing. I didn't I didn't have a bad house environment, which I'm sure you've heard of. Different people come from, you know, uh, negative house environments or toxic. Um, environments and so it kind of pushes them into this this l- loss of identity, not knowing who they are. They don't re- realize they're loved or accepted and they they feel neglected and so they kind of resort to um substance abuse. But for me, I really don't have an excuse for my life for for my substance abuse. But at age 16, the best way I can describe it is my eyes kind of opened up to the world. Okay? Okay. So I grew up in a religious house Uh, we were Methodist and by religious I mean like the candles the standing up the mundane monotone hymns nothing against hymns traditional the traditional traditional ways of man right so and and not not that I, I I just didn't know God I didn't, I didn't know. I just, I wasn't interested in God. I was just going to church because mom and dad and and grandma wanted me to go to church.
0: I think that's super interesting. And we were even talking a little bit before we got rock and rolling when, when we finally got this podcast up and live, but, uh, there's a difference, right? Like, I think from being a parent, you want the best for your child. You want to instill morals and values, but at some point they have to accept and they have to have some willingness on their own. So it sounds like you were introduced from your mom and dad, but you hadn't really come, you, you hadn't on your own accord taken that jump. Right. Is that accurate? Am I hitting it on the head?
2: Absolutely. Cool. I think my parents wanted what was best for me, you know, but I wasn't seeing God. The way that I believe a a person is supposed to see God through encounters, through personal relationship and things like that. So what I was really seeing is I was seeing a tradition that man has has put together. Not that they, they missed the mark, not that they didn't have the right... You know concepts or anything like that, but but it was just a it was a it was a a place where I just didn't feel the spirit of God, I didn't feel the presence of God in that place. So when I turned sixteen years of age, you know, uh, my parents had purchased my first vehicle for me, so it was a Toyota Tercel. Like I don't know if you know what, a, you're Toyota a Toyota Ter-
0: man, dude. I don't know you're, why you're, he's got a gorgeous Tundra sitting in the parking lot outside. So okay, so I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, yeah. So it was a, like a cherry red Toyota Tercel. It was beautiful, and my parents said, "We'll buy it for you. All you have to do is is provide for the insurance." So you got to get a job, right? So Ooh. got a job working at a place called Mighty Melt, where we made these fancy sandwiches and things like that. But um, uh, what happened in the process of having a vehicle was that people started to attach themselves to me. You know what I mean? Sure, you could get them around town. I was I was independent. I was I was freedom to a lot of people. Okay. So what happened in the process of all that is that bad people really started to attach themselves to me. Cause they didn't want Aaron, they wanted what I had to offer
0: them. Mm, that classic what can you do for me? Yes. Yeah.
2: So what happened in the process is I went to this house one evening and I started smoking marijuana. Okay. Now, marijuana was, was uh, I know we hear about this a lot in recovery, it's the gateway. And it really, for me, was because I started using marijuana just kind of experimentally, just in the party scene,
0: recreationally,
2: recreationally, yeah. socially, and then that went from marijuana. The next thing I know, some people had um, cocaine, mm. and I started using cocaine. And the next thing I know, people were bringing me LSD and ecstasy. It was like it was like an avalanche. It was like it just kept coming in. But I wasn't using every day. I was just really using on the weekends whenever, you know, mom and dad, I, you know, we did the whole I'm staying at my friend's house. Oh, and he's staying at my house. Right.
0: So the there wasn't a physical dependency at this point. You're just kind of dabbling recreational being a high school kid.
2: Absolutely. And let's Absolutely. be honest.
0: What high school kid has? Well, let me take that. I'm just not even going to go there. Because <laughs> some, I haven't. Well, did. I was going to say what what high school kid doesn't have or has the resources to be able to afford that stuff all the time. But you never know. Right? You're right, anyways, you're right.
2: And I, I had a job. So I had a little bit of cash flow coming in just enough to be able to supply a little bit of our our, our partying, if you will. So anyways, what happened in the in the in the process of all that is I started becoming defiant towards my parents. Mm. okay? We had a good relationship. I would say we had a pretty healthy relationship. But what happened is my mind started to change, you know, my, my, uh, it, like a dark cloud was coming over my, my mind and I wasn't thinking the way that Aaron thinks, you know, I, I grew up as a, a, a giddy kid, you know, I was hyper, I was excited. I was in sports. I was doing all these things. Do
0: you attribute that to the substances or do you attribute that to maybe... Resentment that your family was so religious and you felt pressured. I mean, what what do you attribute that to?
2: No, I really think I was looking for acceptance. I was looking for because social of, acceptance with your friends, social acceptance because people who were popular were using drugs and alcohol. So, so but I did mean, the
0: resentment towards your family or the 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 change in your behavior towards your family. What do you think that that was? I think
2: it was that they wanted they they noticed that I was out longer than I should. And so they were basically trying to trying to back me off mm. that a little bit, and I didn't like that, so I was becoming defiant to, um, uh, to not listen to what they had to say or arguments. We had arguments in the middle of the house, right? Right, right. And, and you're trying and to
0: maintain this popular, you know, you know, it's a social, lifestyle. Yeah, it was
2: a lifestyle sure. I was living, and they caught on to it. Not that I was using drugs, but they caught on to I was staying out later. I was doing this. I was hanging out with individuals they didn't know because my parents knew. They wanted to know all my friends, which again is yeah, is a, a healthy thing. parent, right? So, anyways, so what happened is is one evening I thought to myself that I was going to run away. I thought I was just going to leave the house like from home, from completely. home, completely, literally walk out the front door, deuces in the air, and just and just leave. What age are you at this? Sixteen, still. Oh wow, okay. yeah. So this 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 movement really started to pick up pretty fast. So it went from kind of using on the weekends to kind of dabbling a little bit in the weekday, maybe once, twice, things like that. So, it, yes, codependency started to catch up a little bit. But my behavior started to change first. So I ran away. Um, I, I did it in the middle of the night, and but, but early enough to where my parents knew I was gone. So anyways, so I went to my buddy's house and... I don't know how they knew, but they—I guess they got a hold of his mother, and so they called the police, and the police came and they arrested me. And they took me to juvenile juvenile detention. On what charges? Runaway. So oh, wow, I'm from Missouri. So in Missouri, you you can't you can't leave home unless you're 18 years of age or older, like unless your parents. Um, Right, and you and you do all those things unless you like
0: emancipated or your parents. Correct, correct.
2: So, so because I was 16, I was still a minor, and I was living in the household of my parents. Mm. So you can go to juvenile detention for a runaway. I bet that was an eye opener for you. It was, it was insane. So I, I just remember like going down the the corridor, all these you know cells and stuff like that, and I was in orange. Yeah, jumpsuit, jumpsuit. And there was people like banging on the doors
0: and yelling and screaming almost like sounds like, a sh- you know, scared straight episode, kind of,
2: it was like a nightmare. <laughs> and I just remember I was laying down in bed and, and they were trying to get to me, you know, mentally and things like that. And I just remember screaming, just get out, shut up, shut up. And they all started laughing at me because mm-hmm. they got to me. Right. So I went to sleep that night. The next day, parents came back to pick me up. They released me from juvenile detention but it was in that moment where i felt like my relationship with my parents had broke like we were we were i no longer wanted to listen to what they said um, from that point i had resentment you were resentful. i was yeah. very resentful to my yeah. parents so anyways um months went on dabbled in um more drugs and things like that alcohol staying out late st- things like that and um So one, one of the rumors that was going around our high school was that someone was going to blow up the school on May 5th. It was, I just remember the date It was May 5th. This is, this is year. this is during the Columbine shooting. Okay. Okay. The Columbine shooting happened 20 over 20 years ago now. And there was this joke going around that someone was going to blow the school up. So me in my drug induced mind thought it would be funny during sixth hour to write a bomb threat on a table. I will blow the school up on May 5th. The problem was, is that I could not remember because I was high to erase Mm. the message. So the next day I skipped first hour. You know where this is going. I skipped first hour, went to second hour and uh, high again, and went to second hour and got a, a note from the principal's office. You need to go to the principal's office. They called me to the front of the, the teacher called me to the front. So I left. I'm like, Oh, here we go. Right. So they caught me. I'm skipping class at
0: that point. Had you remembered that you wrote that? Totally forgot about it. Oh.
2: Totally forgot about it. So I'm walking down this hallway. It's empty. It's everyone's in class. And I turn the door, like turn, I'm sorry, turn the corner. And in the principal's office, there's, it's a big, it's a big school. So 2000 kids go to our, our high school in uh, Joplin, Missouri. And there's all these windows. So I turn the corner, and as I'm walking by these windows, there was like the Joplin Police Department was sure. set up. Oh, well, yeah, the they took that stuff serious. They took it the seriously, especially because the Columbine shooting just happened. Oh, yeah. So I walk in. I'm like, mm, someone's in some be- deep trouble, right? That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking
0: somebody else <laughs> is in big trouble. At this point, you hadn't correlated that you'd wrote in it. Still oh, had not process, man. Okay, okay.
2: So I go into the principal's office, and my mother is sitting in the corner. You got to know at that point. I knew something was wrong okay. and the fury in her face. She had, f- I mean, her eyes were piercing.
0: If looks could kill.
2: Oh man. I knew I was in trouble. I was like, well, this is it for me. So I sat down. Principal says, do you realize what you did yesterday? And I'm like processing, processing, because again,
0: you were intoxicated at the time.
2: Totally high. I mean, I was high on marijuana. I was stoned on my, on my mind, so
0: you can remember some stuff, but it's sometimes it's glitchy right there. Right. Like you don't, you don't have the best recall.
2: right? Right. So as I'm processing this, it was like the vision came back. And I remember writing on that desk and I went, (sighs) I just kind of took a deep breath. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, it hit hit me. It hit me. And he says, Aaron, I'll never forget these words. He said, Aaron, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place right now. He says, because of this bomb threat that you have that you have written on this desk, because someone in seventh hour. Had had caught the message and they told the teacher and the yeah, teacher told the they it, yeah. reported it. So um, th- he says they want to put you away for over a year in 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 jail. I've never been. I went to juvenile detention, but those charges got dropped of runaway and things like that. But I've never been in trouble up to this date. Like I've never had any issues with the law or nothing like that besides that runaway. And so that's something
0: that's going to permanently take away your freedom. Oh man, it was right.
2: it was it was. It's like not, it was literally a nightmare. That's the best way I can describe it. And so the the the, the officer walks in and he handcuffs me. Okay. So they take me to juvenile. They're, they're, they walk me out of the principal's office. And as I turn the door out of the principal's office, the bell to the, the school rings. No. You know that walk of shame that you see oh, people yeah. see with the hands behind oh, their back? Yeah. Heads down. That was exactly what I did. And I just remember people whispering, Aaron, what's going on? what's going on? Like where like, everyone could tell, like, there's like all kinds of officers and detectives and, and they're walking me out in handcuffs in the middle of, I mean, it was embarrassing. So I just remember in that van, we're driving to the, de- the juvenile detention. And I just remember looking at that door handle. And I thought if I just grabbed the door handle and opened it up, all this would go away. It's mm. the best way I can describe it. So, um, you didn't though, I didn't. No, okay. I was handcuffed. I thought this story was going to get even uglier. I'm like, <laughs> oh, oh, it gets put uglier, down but... <laughs> the shovel, Aaron. So, yeah. So they took me to juvenile detention. I had to make a statement, two weeks of statements. Um, I had to hire a lawyer, over $10,000. They end up slapping me with um, 200 hours of community service. Uh, again, $10,000 to my lawyer. <clears throat> and they expelled me from school for three months. Luckily, by the grace of God, they allowed me to do my schoolwork during those three months so that to stay on track, to stay on track with my, with my studies. So, um, after that, uh, it was an awakening call. So I I stopped using, I I stayed home. I listened to my parents, like things kind of started falling back to normal a little bit. Right. So, but man, I was losing myself in the process of all this because my life was really going downhill. I mean, it really was so, um, I mean, you,
0: yeah, yeah. Everything you just shared is a great example of that going downhill, right? I mean, those are all negative consequences of not being totally Aaron, authentically Aaron, right? And they Aaron like that. You don't do that kind of stuff. I would assume unless you're intoxicated. Right.
2: I was the good boy. I was the firstborn. I was the role uh, role model. I was the
0: example for my brother. Which listen by me stating that I'm not saying that because people get into here's one thing I hate. Is, oh, people turn into killers and rapists mm-hmm. and, you know, all this crazy stuff because they use drugs. No, right. that's no. Right. But but we don't typically make our best decisions mm-hmm. because our frontal cortex isn't working when we're on. Right. When we're intoxicated. So sorry. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. No, no. I'm, I, I want to make you. sure I
0: preface that. I'm with you on that.
2: Um So, yeah. So uh graduated high school by the skin of my teeth. Um After high school, uh, my parents want me to go to college. And I didn't want to go to college. I don't know why to this day. I just didn't feel motivated to go to college So I started working some dead-end jobs um, Really going nowhere with my life and lo and behold man, I met this guy and he said hey uh, his name was Josh and he wanted me to come over to his house. He was having a hangout, like, just come and check it out. And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, I felt a connection with him. Like, I just felt like, like he was a brother. Like, I felt like we were just connected. So I went to his house. Um, it was a duplex. And I'll never forget this moment, man. This was like a I should have turned around moment. But I went to this duplex, and his room was downstairs. So his mother, um, his sister, and her boyfriend lived upstairs, and he lived downstairs. Okay? So he opened the door to the downstairs and the carpet was red like I've never seen red carpet before bizarre is the most insane and then I turned the corner and the furniture was black like it was black leather Mm. so it looked like a place where the devil would reside sure in fact the place was called the devil's den so I turned the corner looked around and there was all these people using methamphetamines in this house and it was a drug house wow. Didn't know it at the time, like something out of a movie scene, man. It was insane. It was like yeah. slow. I can still see it like slow motion. Yeah. I turn the corner. People are sucking on pipes, snorting lines off the, off the table, all these things. Right. And so he invited me over.
0: Just it, it's funny when you said that, I just got kind of sick to the stomach, right? Just, oh, mm-hmm. uh, that's just heavy, man. It's a
2: real moment because I could have turned around. I could have said no, but I walked over to the bar. He had a bar downstairs. He had a bathroom I and mean, it was a full house down there. Right. So I walked over to the mirror and I fell right back into my addiction. This time it was methamphetamines. And how old are you at this point? I was probably nineteen. Okay. So out of high school. Out of high school. Okay. Yep. Yep. So um, we got high. I we had great conversations. There was girls everywhere. We were having a good old time. And they asked me out of nowhere to move in to the house. And I was naive. And I said, "Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Let's let's do it." So I went back to my house, packed my stuff up, and moved into the drug house. So as the months went on, days went on, weeks went on. Um I found out that it was it was a meth house. So they were selling drugs. Um they were connected to manufacturers of drugs. And I'm going to be honest with you, man, I was I was popular. They they liked me. They liked the way I was. They liked how I joked around, how I was free-spirited and all these things and so they 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 brought me in like family. Like they were like really wanting to bring me in close. And his mother loved me. She was an addict. Her, his sister was an alcoholic. Her, her boyfriend was an alcoholic. And um, man, it was the darkest days of my life. It really was. So, you said
0: something interesting, though, that I just want to kind of stop and pause. Mm-hmm. You talked about like the perception was almost like an MTV video, right? Like, you got girls around, you feel like you're funny, you feel like you're more charismatic, you know, there's just like an energy, a buzz. That's the lie right? Like that's the powerful lie. Listen, there's reasons why people get addicted to these chemicals. It's not because they do them and they have a terrible experience, right? But that lie is so enticing and it's so deceptive that you fall into that because there's people that will look back. that use methamphetamines. It'll look back now that they're clean, look back into pictures of when they were in active addiction and they go, you know what the craziest thing about that is, you know, looking at this picture and I'll say what? And they say, I thought I was so hot. I thought I looked so good. I thought I was on top of the world in this in this picture. And that's the lie. That's the deception that it tells. like it's crazy.
2: man. Yes, because I believe it's not just the the substance that people are addicted to. It's the lifestyle that they're addicted to. And everyone's under the influence of drugs. So everyone's got this euphoric
0: state of I love you. You love me. This is awesome. We don't worry about responsibilities. And in hindsight, you're a young cat. Mm -hmm. I don't know how old the guy was. But they knew you'd been popular in high school. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were looking to use you as a way of generating more cells and bringing more people around because you knew people in that area. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I don't know. No, that's just for sure. Because I grew up in Joplin, Missouri. So that's where my stomping grounds were. I knew everybody in the city, yeah. you know, all these things.
0: So, But my point being is you said that it, they brought you in almost like family, mm-hmm. which I'm sure at the time it probably felt that way. But, but. I'm sure there was some alternative motives because when it comes to that world, I've been in that world. Sure. There's always alternative motives. Sure. Nobody wants the best for you in that environment. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: And so through the popularity of the drug world, these high end drug dealers wanted to promote me basically. So I will be honest with you. I started to manufacture methamphetamines with, with these big high end drug dealers and we were manufacturing and we were trafficking and moving things around and all that, you know what I mean? So you got in deep, quick, deep, quick. Uh, not only that, but our product was so good, so pure that, that everybody wanted what we had. So we were creating a lot of buzz in the, in the city and, and everybody didn't want the other things they wanted, what we had to offer. So it was, it was creating a lot of buzz. It was creating a lot of eyes. Also creating a lot of paranoia because you know that creates uh, possible like DEA watching oh, yeah. you and things like that. So, but also there was also high end cocaine dealers who were not even in our group who were who were seeing that what we had to offer and we started exchanging things with these cocaine dealers. I mean we were like
0: deep into this drug you, world. You know it's crazy, Aaron. Is sitting here across from you and knowing you now. It's like, I don't, it's like you're, you're telling me this and I'm hearing this, but my brain can't register yeah. it, right? Yeah. So we've only got about 15 seconds here in this first edition. I okay. know it's flown by. Okay. Yeah. We're going to get to, we're going to pick it right back up in sure. part two sure. and then get into what you're doing today. And Absolutely. I guarantee we're going to have some people's jaws hit the floor because. Just 360 degrees difference. Big time. We'll be back right after this. You are listening to We
1: Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn.
0: I'm Desmond Lomax, one of the clinical executives here at Steps Recovery and Once you become of The Steps family, you're just a part of The Steps family. A lot of us have overcome substances, overcome addiction, and now we're able to help other people. Second of all, we're also going to help you in a way where you can afford to be helped. Third of all, we're going to give you the same quality that many organizations are charging two to three times. And it's more about you than it is about our organization.
1: welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers.
0: And we're back. Episode 98. We got Aaron Garcia here in studio and he has shared uh, the first part of his story in part one of this. We're excited to get back to it. Sounds like he got in pretty deep, which is which is scary. And knowing him today, I mean, it's just mind blowing the difference that this man has made. So we're going to get to that episode. 98 part two is brought to us by the Hilton garden Inn. it is always sunny and bright at the Hilton garden. Inn. if you are looking to travel through Southern Utah, which we have amazing hiking, we have great recreation out here in Southern Utah, go ahead and do a Google search. Just type in Hilton garden Inn. they have amazing amenities. We appreciate them sponsoring this podcast. Definitely give them a, uh, give them your, your business. They are a great organization. All right, let's get back at it. So I know that's the quick sponsorship mention, right? Like, I feel like my sponsorship mentions aren't long. Like I watch Joe Rogan and I like have to hit the fast forward (laughs) 32nd button at least for five minutes. Right. Mine are just like brief little mentions. Right. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for just watching and coming up with something to say though. Like I do really, I'm not trying to be negative here. Like I genuinely (laughs) appreciate it. All right, let's get back into it. So Sounds like you got in a little over your head. Mm-hmm. You're from Joplin. Am I saying that right? Yep, Missouri. Missouri, yeah. Um, was meth pretty big back there? Big time. It's the uh, second largest capital meth capital of the of the nation.
2: Crazy. I yeah. didn't even know that. McDonald County is only twenty minutes from us. It's number one. So. Oh,
0: I thought you were gonna say McDonald's doesn't have anything on us. I was <laughs> no McDonald's <I> was,
2: County. <laughs> that was, that was, was not a plug there. That was not a an advertisement for yeah, McDonald's. <laughs> yeah.
0: We're not sponsored by McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> so, All right, man. So but, yeah. so you're kinda, you know, you're you're getting in pretty deep. Sounds like you started doing some manufacturing and man, a lot of that stuff uh just heavy. Yeah. Heavy. Yeah. It, where does this? Where, does, where do we go from there? Sure. So this
2: is the turning point because I was losing my relationship with my parents. They knew I was under the influence of drugs. I was yeah, paranoid. You can't really hide meth. You, you can't hide it. I for mean, for very long. And 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 drugs were no longer fun anymore because I was in the middle of a, mm. of, a, of, a of a job of a manufacturing spot and I f- this fear came over me this paranoia it had and, to be heavy
0: no not any minute the DEA could kick in your door and you could be in handcuffs yep and you're not just facing a year I right. mean, manufacturing methamphetamine is yep. a huge twenty five plus years
2: yeah in prison so yeah so we knew that there was. Unmarked vehicles that were starting to watch us a little bit and stuff like that, and I was really just coming to a crossroads in my life where I knew that my life was out of control. So one evening, and this is a supernatural moment for for me, and maybe not everybody has this story, but for me, it was it was a it was a a, a pivotal moment where God stepped into my life.
0: So when you say supernatural, I just want to clarify because that mm. could mean a lot of things to mm. a lot of different a lot of different mm. people. You're talking when God stepped in. Yes. Okay.
2: Yes. Okay. So I'm, I'm standing in the middle of this drug house called the devil's den. Because remember, it was called the devil's den. Mm-hmm. And there was always people there. There was always flow, things like that. But this evening, someone borrowed my car to go sell drugs. And I was by myself. And I was standing in the middle of the living room. And you know that moment where you know that you know that you know you're at rock bottom? Absolutely. I knew right then and there that was the, the lowest point the lowest crevice you could possibly be in. And I felt hopeless. I'll be honest with you. I just felt complete hopelessness. Like, how am I ever going to be rescued from this? How am I going to get out of this? And so the thing that crossed my mind was two things. Either I'm going to die in this house or I'm going to end up in prison for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And those two things just came in out of nowhere, uh, just a, a thought that would not escape my mind. And the best way I can describe this moment is this This glory came into the room, this, this weight, this invisible weight came over my shoulders and I just started to like, just tear up, you know what I mean? Like complete, like absolutely. my my tears were hitting the carpet. They were saturating it and I hit my knees. I'll be honest with you. And I didn't know God. I didn't know God back then. I didn't know God in the Methodist church. I didn't know him in the religious aspects of the traditions of man. I didn't know him.
0: In the way that you know him today. Correct. You've come to know him. Correct. Okay. But in
2: that moment, the only person I could reach out to in that moment was God himself. And so I said these words. I said, God, if you're real, I need you to come into my life. I need you to change it forever. I don't want this life anymore. And it was one statement, one prayer. Powerful. Nothing happened. Not that night. But three days later, I remember it was three days, and on the third day, I'm standing in the yard of the Devil's Den, and the same people, the, the buddy of mine who invited me over, were pointing their finger in my face, and they said, get out of here. You don't belong here anymore. I'm like, w- where am I going to go? Like, I'm homeless. Like, I can't go back home. I have no friends. The only people I know on my phone are drug addicts and drug dealers.
0: And, and God's like up there going, you're welcome.
2: Yes, Yes. Yes. (laughs) So I got, uh, I was bawling. It's funny to me how we like, we want out of situations, but when we can get out of those situations, when there's like a actual way out, we don't want to leave because
0: it's our comfortability. Sure. Yeah. It's the fear of the unknown. It's like, yeah.
2: Yeah. So they gathered up my clothes and man, this high end drug dealer that I was, all I had in my life was this black trash bag
0: of things. Rad. I
2: love it. So I got into my vehicle. I'm bawling. I'm wondering what's going on. What am I going to do? I'm, I'm literally hopeless still. Um, and I got into that car and there was something in that vehicle said, go home. You'll find safety there. So I show up my mom's front door. She opens
0: the door. She looks at me and she didn't even recognize her own son. Which, listen, that intuition's great. But, I mean, it takes a lot. You have to swallow some pride right. to try to go back home to mom and dad. Right? I'm sure that wasn't the easiest thing in the world to do. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I've been up for like seven days. I mean, oh. I was hallucinating. I was, sure. I wasn't, I wasn't in the right mind. Sure. So my mom sat sat me down. I asked if I could move back in. She said absolutely not. Look at the condition you're in. I mean, she saw me as a corpse. She literally said that I looked like a walking corpse. That was the best way she could describe me. And my dad's in the background, and I've only seen my dad cry two times. And he said, "Well, he's our son. Like, we can't leave him like this. We have to help him." And my mom says, "Fine." It was that same eye piercing that she had when the bomb threat, she said, if he gets clean, he can stay here. And so I made the decision to get clean that night. And I got clean that night. I went through withdrawals. I was sweating. I was, uh, I wasn't hungry. I was drinking water. I was going to the bathroom and pretty much sleeping for three days straight. Right. After three days, man, I, I was clean. And then a week later, I'm still clean. And a month later, I'm still clean. And I'm sitting there going, what is going on? How am I clean? I didn't go to a rehab. I'm not against rehabs. I'm just saying for my life and for this situation, I didn't go to rehab. I didn't go to a support group. I literally just stayed in my parents' house and stayed clean.
0: That was the best way I could do it, you know? So, Which, listen, I don't think I believe in all pathways, right? Like you say, obviously, I work for a treatment center. Mm -hmm. And I think that... They're great for people that can't do it that way. Because do you know how many times I hear people say, I've tried two or three dozen times to right. quit on my own. Right. Typically, that's when they end up in a treatment center and they get introduced to, to community stuff like AANA, you know, whatever. Right. Um, but I think it's fantastic. And that's no yeah. knock, right? That's yeah. just and, – and if you can do it that way, that's that's. That's phenomenal. That's fantastic. You also said another thing I want to clarify is it was after three days you were clean, which Mm -hmm. means you could pass a urinalysis. Probably. But I'm sure for at least a few months, you didn't feel normal. Like it takes Mm -hmm. time for the brain to heal and for you to actually be able to have like your logical thinking come back in and some of that old Aaron personality Mm -hmm. come back, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so we call that pause, post-acute withdrawal symptoms. Um, The cool thing is that you're able to Go through the pause without going back and using, but it almost right. sounds like you were ostracized by the people that you were getting it from in the first place. Anyways, right? So maybe that had a factor, right? Yeah, but I'm okay.
2: Yeah, yeah. So um, you're right. I I came up out of my addiction and all those things. I was sober, man, but I had anxiety. I had oh, depression. Yeah. I had thoughts of suicide. I, cause I, I was sober Aaron. Now I was no longer, you know, intoxicated Aaron or, or under the influence. And so I had to kind of figure out who I was again. I didn't know who I was, what my purpose was and all those things. But then like I started going through the motions and my mom's talked about the medical field cause she was in the medical field. What do you think about joining the medical field? I'm like, I'll give it a shot. And next thing you know, I'm in college for a registered nurse. So in college, I started process this. I was like, wait a second. Like, I'm in college. I cried out to God. Like, literally, God, like, brought all this back to me in an instant. It was the craziest moment. So I was like, wait a second. I cried out to God in the middle of a drug house. Three days later, I'm getting kicked out. I got into my vehicle. There was something that said, go home. You'll find safety there. I went home. I received acceptance, I got clean, I stayed clean, and now I'm in college. I said, there's got to be a divine order behind this. There's no way this is a coincidence. You can't really
0: deny the power of prayer at that <laughs> point, can can't. you? Yeah. So I If start, you did, you'd be a fool. I know. Yeah. So
2: And so I started to seek him. And I, the best way I could feel, find God was go to church, right? So I went to different churches and you know, got into one church, left another church to get to the worship of the next church. I was just hungry. So I went to this, so I was so hungry for the Lord. We got established in a, in a certain church and, um, but I was so hungry. I was doing extracurricular things. So I was going to like events, programs, conferences, whatever, right? Just eating it up.
0: Yeah. You dove into that. sounds like just as quick as you dove into your addiction. It, it was, was like, my new, it was like my new addiction yeah, really. Yeah. Um, so
2: anyways, so I'm standing at the front of this, this church and they did like a salvation, like altar call, but they also did like whoever needed prayer. So I knew the young adult leader there and he asked me to come forward to pray for people. Cuz you got to remember I was hungry, I man. I was like I was wanting all of God. I knew that he was real. I wanted to find him, you know.
0: And so anyways, so well one prayer changed your life so much. It's like what what more?
2: It's yeah. like it's like reality set in and then um you know, those who hunger and the Bible says that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. So I was wanting this, this, I was wanting God. I was wanting more of him. Yeah. So I'm standing at the front and I'm looking for people to pray for. I'm like, and there's nobody to pray for. Right. I was like Debbie Downer moment. Like <laughs> this, this sucks. I'm going to be honest with this sucks. And I was like, I literally stood there. I was like, God, I'm here. And so I'm looking at the pastor. He's on the mic. He's just kind of encouraging the congregation and stuff like that as people are getting prayed for. And he's on the microphone and his voice goes out. This is a supernatural moment. And a lot of people may not get this, but they need to hear this because this is where my life went from just seeking God to actually being filled with God. So I'm standing there. His voice goes out. He's still on the microphone talking. And I looked at my buddy. I said, dude, someone needs to turn up his microphone. I can't hear a word he's saying. And the moment I processed that, man, this rush of wind blew in from right behind me. And I was like, that's weird. I was like, I'm not cold. But I can feel something. And my arms began to shake. And I'm processing it, looking for like a vent of some sort. But there was like it was a Baptist church, which is crazy. And it was, it was like 60-foot vaulted ceilings. And I'm processing this moment, this encounter, and the the wind got stronger. Hmm. I was violently at this point shaking. No one's taught me this before. No one laid hands on me during this moment. It was literally a filling of the Holy Spirit. So my buddy grabs me. He's praying for me, and for about five minutes, it was intense—like electrocution, like nothing bad. It was just, it was just intense. Yeah, you you felt overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. So that only lasted for about five minutes. But after five minutes, man, this peace and joy that surpassed all understanding came over me, like higher than I know this sounds crazy, but higher than any high I've ever had in my entire life. You know, the Bible says in John 3, 8, it says, we don't really know where the wind is going, where it's coming from or where it's going. He says, so are those who are born of the spirit. Mm. So I was filled with the Holy Spirit because God had an assignment for me. He had, he had a calling on my life, a purpose on my life, just like he has anyone who comes to seek him. So I was in church and I'm hanging out in church and I heard a voice. This was after I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I began to hear this voice that came out of nowhere. And he said these words, he said, I need you outside these four walls of the church. And I'm like, wait a second, I'm supposed to be in church. Like, that's where you're supposed to be, right? And my buddy calls me up one day. He says, man, the Lord spoke to me. He says, I'm supposed to grab you and your wife and we're supposed to hit the streets and feed the homeless and feed people. And it was like that moment where I knew that I knew
0: that's exactly what I'm supposed to do. He got the same prompt or the same intuition as you. Yep. Yeah, that's crazy. That's cool.
2: It's amazing. And so we sacked up 30 sack lunches. It was December of 2014. We hit the streets and there was all these homeless people standing in this alleyway. And so I got out the car. They bum, rush, bum rushed me with all these you know, sack lunches. Oh, yeah. We had some coats and they started asking for prayer. And I was like, well, yeah, I'll pray for you. So I started praying for someone's deaf ear and his ear opened up. I prayed for someone's back and his back got healed. I prayed for a woman with a cane for her knee and her knee got healed. And again, I've never been taught these things. No one's ever taught me these things before. It's not like I sat down in a seminar and someone gave me a lesson on how healing is and how being filled with the Holy Spirit. Sure. It was an organic process. It was an organic process. So I stepped out of the crowd because I was overwhelmed with what I was seeing. And the same voice that said, get outside these four walls said to me in that moment, this is what I've called you to. And it was the moment I got called into ministry, and we started our first homeless church that's amazing man. <laughs> which was super messy. what year was that? It was two thousand and fifteen
0: so you were so you you started doing that in two thousand and fifteen yes I know. We, we spoke before we started this and you moved here to St. George, Utah yes, in February of 2021. Yes. So in that time frame in there within the six years that's what you were doing prior to what you do
2: yep. now. Homeless churches, uh, we, we, we got a, a whole school, 20,000 square foot for $1 from hearing the voice of God. Like just hearing the voice of God. You know, the Bible says that he who is faithful with little will be granted much. So Utah, where we are at now, is a greater from all the other obedience steps that we've, we've taken. That's
0: cool. My wife. So. I love that. I, you know, the thing I love the most about your story is <clears throat> I I've learned. So I'm, I'm Christian. I'm very open about that. I mm-hmm. uh, believe in Christ, believe he died, you know, for, uh, for my sins. Yes. Um, I learned recently a few weeks back, there was a sermon on the church. People, when they hear church, they think of a building. Yes. They think of four walls. Yes. That's never what it was intended to be. Never. A church is a body of a community or a body of people coming Absolutely. together that are like-minded individuals. That that technically, when you draw it all the way back to yes. its origin, right? To the am, I, am I right movement. on that? Absolutely. Right? And so the cool thing about your story, the thing I love is you didn't need those four walls. Mm-mm. You you went out and found people. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. you took the word to the street, which, yeah. listen, if anybody needs the word, it's the people out in the street. Absolutely. I mean, we all do. Yes. But sometimes, I mean, coming from a person that was homeless for nine months, you know, strung out on heroin, Mm -hmm. man, yeah. oftentimes people are in their rock bottoms like you felt in the devil's den. Right. And they need that, that, um, that piece, that, 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 the word, right? Like, so. That's crazy. So, a question for you, and yeah. this is maybe a little opto- off topic. Mm-hmm. When when I I'll, when I hear people tell amazing stories like yours, so the example of the person whose back got healed and the knee that got mm-hmm. healed, mm-hmm. from your perspective, and there's no right or wrong answer, mm-hmm. is do you believe that that's the power of prayer, or do you believe that that's faith? Do you believe that they thought it was possible, therefore it was like the mind healing itself mm-hmm. through belief, yeah. or do you think that that was divine? Mm -hmm. through the power of prayer. Yeah. So I believe it's both, right? So faith um,
2: is, you know, the substance of things uh, hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. Okay. Hebrews 11, uh, verse one. But um, because I've seen healing... So we've done lots of healing since then. I've been to Pakistan, India. We've seen demons manifest and cast out demons. The Bible promises these things, right? The Bible says that these signs will follow those who believe. They will cast out demons. They will lay hands on the sick, and the sick will recover, mm. right? So freely you've received the gift of God. Freely now go and give it, right? So um, when people came up to me and asking me for prayer, in a sense, they had faith. They were hoping that that that. Prayer, sure. us laying hands on them would be a way for them to receive the full healing, and they did. I've prayed for other people, and I haven't seen healings. Now, I don't go to God and go, hey, "God, did I do? Did I mess something up? Did I not do it right?" right See, right, that's right. not faith, right?
0: right? So, it's got to be a combination of the two. Yeah, I think the reason why I ask you this, and maybe I'm getting a little off topic, but yeah. I, I, I just you're here, and yeah. I got you now. So, yeah. I'm gonna, and I know you work in the medical field, sure, right? And so you you have that background and that education, the Perkins wand. What we've come to know as the placebo effect. Okay. Right? Back in the day, the very first studies of the placebo effect was some doctor came up with this wand, right? Mm -hmm. Which was basically just a stick. He just, you know, uh, patented it. Sure. And they would wave it over people's bodies Mm -hmm. where they had pain or where they had, like, you know, Mm -hmm. like a messed up back, some bad back. They would do, tell them, they would preface beforehand, Mm -hmm. hey, this, This instrument has the Mm -hmm. ability to heal you after a few sessions. And magically, after they planted that seed, Uh they would wave the wand over and people would start reporting better better health, less pain. Mm -hmm. And so the reason why I ask is because it's just interesting to me, whether it's is it odd or is it God, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, is it the power of the mind sure. through the placebo effect? Mm-hmm. And so I love, obviously it's got to be a combination of both. Cause yeah. like you said, there's been times where you've prayed for people, mm-hmm. but maybe they weren't open to receive it or mm-hmm. they didn't believe that it would work. And so it didn't. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's just interesting.
2: Yeah. Well, and the Bible also says that some people are sick so that they can bring glory to God. For their mm. lives right so so uh, cool testimony so we moved here to st george this is recent this just happened today actually which is cool that we're talking about this because it's really going to build some people's faith um we needed a washer and dryer for our house and so we did we're cheap so we do a lot of marketplace and yeah and absolutely. we found this washer and dryer which was the last thing that we needed for our house here in st george utah and so we met this this couple and uh, on marketplace and went over there and just they said hey so we see that you're from missouri why are you here And that's the number one question I'm asking. Why are you here? I'm like, that's an interesting question. (laughs) Let me tell you about that. Yeah. So I tell him, I said, the Lord sent us here. And she stopped like in her tracks. She's like, oh, my gosh, I feel goosebumps all over my body. I was like, yeah, you do. And so she said to me, she says, my husband, the reason why we're here, we moved here from Michigan, he's sick. He has a blood disease. He has cancer of the blood. Okay. So this is kind of that one thing that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. This is because you can't make up cancer in the blood. Sure. Right. Over just me just telling you, you'll go back to the doctor and you'll look at the report. So anyway, so I said, well, you know, the Bible says this. And so I walked him through the Bible and what the Bible promises about what we can do as believers. Right. And um, so she allowed me to pray and her husband allowed me to pray for him. And I prayed that that blood disease would leave in the name of Jesus. And I just felt the glory come in that moment. She was crying. It was a beautiful moment, right? Yeah. So you don't know if cancer is healed right then there, right? So we became friends on, on Facebook because she loved what we were doing and things like that. And today she posted that they went back to the doctor and they found no cancer in his blood. Get out of here. Not even kidding you. Wow. And so they, he was given, I believe she said he was only given a couple of years to live. So that's why they moved from Michigan here to, to Utah. Because he was hospice. Because, well, he was he looked normal. I mean, but but they don't Typically, know. Typically
0: when they tell you, you
2: only have, right? So hospice is really probably the last six months of your oh, life, okay. honestly. Yeah. Okay. So they were coming here just to live their lives. Hmm. But when the kingdom of God or the rule and reign of God, that's filled in those believers, right? It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added to you. Okay? So... I'm understanding that the kingdom of God, Jesus says, why do you look for the kingdom of God over here or over there or in a building? He says, the kingdom of God lives within you. Well, how does the kingdom of God live within you? It's through the Holy spirit, the indwelling God that Jesus said, I have to leave or else he'll never come. Right. So he came Holy spirit and he lives inside believers. Now when you believe, right? So, so I would just just announcing the kingdom of God has come. Let me lay hands on you that you may be healed. And sure enough, today, she posted on Facebook that they went back to the doctor
0: in Vegas, did a blood work sample and it came back completely clean. Dude, Aaron, thank you for sharing that with us, man. That, that, that is amazing. So real quick, I got two thoughts here. Number Mm. one, how do people get a hold of you, man? Yeah,
2: sure. So you can find me, I guess, on Facebook. Um, uh, personal page. I also have a ministry page called just Aaron Garcia Ministries. I have a website. It's called authoramgarcia.com. You can go there and uh, you can find me. So we, we do have a church here now. It's called Revival City. And uh, so I, I wish we could have spoke more on how I got here to Utah because that's a pretty eye opening moment, maybe for another day. So, but you can find us. Uh, we're over in Dixie Downs, uh, but you can search Revival City
0: and you should be able to find it here in St. George, Utah. So I love it. And this is a podcast about overcoming addiction, right? And it sounds like you're a powerful man when it comes to prayer. Would you be open with a minute and a half left here to pray for the person that needs, you know, some uplifting and, and they need to cross over the bridge from active addiction into recovery?
2: Absolutely. Let's do that. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. We just thank you, Lord, right now, God, for every individual that's watching this podcast right now, whether it be addiction anxiety depression thoughts of suicide even maybe even cancer we rebuke that now in the name of jesus and may the power and the authority of god transform your minds and your hearts so that you may understand that god is real that he loves you that he is a he's a pursuing god and that there's nothing that is too difficult for him. Father, I pray for the families right now, God, that are going through turmoil. I pray the reconciliation of the husband and the wives right now, those who are even becoming separated, Father, that you would bring those back together, that you would reconcile families again because that is your purpose, is the family unit, Father. And Father, we pray for financial blessings, Lord, of those who are maybe going through struggles right now, just trying to make it from paycheck to paycheck. God, I, I ask for a supernatural deposit into their account, Lord. And Father, we know it's not about the money, but it's about the provision that you provide, God. And so, Lord, Father, we just thank you for this podcast. Father, I pray for Jared and his wife, God. May they continue to to seek you and find you, Lord. And may all things work out for the good to those who are called. And we thank you, Lord, and we honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening.
1: Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn.